0: Welcome to Nothing New Under the Sun. It's a podcast about those distinguished and desperate movie remakes, those franchises that Hollywood just won't let die. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Dune. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dave, and this here is my co-host, Mike.
1: What's new? What's new today, Dave, is that I will be starting off our podcast here with an apology to all of you fans of uh, of the original Dune. And um, uh, I know that you read it as a little kid, and it was your favorite thing, and it touched your heart, and it just sat in there, and you waited all this time for an uh, adaptation that was as good as the books to come out, and we we've, we didn't do that. We've never, <laughs> we've never <laughs> read the Dune books, and we're going to get a lot wrong. I read, I read uh, Dune. You read Dune? Yeah. You,
0: you, you could have you told me that before I went into this whole diatribe? No, I thought it was funnier to let you do it. <laughs> what we were saying earlier though is uh that a lot of the names are hard to pronounce, so we might get some of them wrong. Like for example, I didn't know it was Dune. I thought it was Dunk. You know, have you seen like the have you seen the uh the posters from the new movie? It looks like it says No. Dun- it looks like it says Dunk D U N C because all the letters <laughs> are like the same letter but they're rotated. Did you think Dunk was a original property? yeah i i was i thought we were talking about dunk today i, I went and saw dunk and you, it was just like dune it was basically a ripoff <laughs> they really that
1: book i read it was
0: exactly like that book i read if you think star wars ripped off dune you should see dunk <laughs> and there's a character named dunk in idaho i thought it was all about him the characters all had the same names
1: it had went to the same planet
0: uh so so where does the dune story
1: begin Mike. We're off to a great start. Uh, Dune is a 1965 novel written by American author Frank Herbert, um, which was originally published in the magazine Analog Magazine uh, as in two separate issues. Uh, it was put together as Dune, and um, it was like Frank Herbert's magnum opus. It combined all the things that he was really interested in at the time, um, from ecology to uh, the story of lawrence of arabia to um his own uh experience with growing psilocybin mushrooms (laughs) (laughs) and he took all of the things that he was really really interested in and just mashed them all together to create this thing that is now beloved by
0: millions of people around the world first we should say that the novel dune if you are not aware somehow by clicking on this podcast is a monolith of sci-fi uh stories, right? Like, it is one of the big ones. Like, if we're talking about the big sci-fi stories, we got Dune, we got Foundation, we got Ender's Game, we got Stranger in a Strange Land, we got Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, we got Neur- Neuromancer, maybe. Those are, like, the big five or whatever. Right. Um, so those are maybe the big ones. And Dune is probably the biggest, both physically the longest and also the the biggest, most overarching, most influential of all of those uh but it has since been met with some controversy you know uh, would you believe that some people have found dune to be problematic this thing written in the 60s i know can you believe it if you if you <laughs> read any of those books like i kind of went on like a um like a spree of reading all of the big classic greatest hit sci-fi books they're all problematic in their own fun interesting ways stranger in a strange land is like wicked misogynistic uh, and Dune is, you know, being sort of a representation of uh, World War I in the Middle East, uh, is a little colonialist, you know. Uh, I came across an article that said, maybe Dune, a story about a white Superman created by a eugenics program, is not the film <laughs> we need right now. So there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of white saviorism going yes. on. Um, so it's we'll, we'll preface it by saying that we understand Dune is not the most PC story these days but influential it is. Sure.
1: Um, Dune is also plagued by the fact that it is the first of most those things, right? Yes. Like, um, I would say uh, something that immediately came to mind when um, I was exploring Dune was um, uh, John Carter of Mars, which is basically your um, influence of all things superhero from there on out. But nobody cares about John Carter of Mars right, anymore because right. it was just something that was um, made over and over and over again. People love Dune, um, but it just felt had that feel while I was watching it that um, everything that's come after it was so inspired by it that it almost seemed cliche.
0: Yes, yeah, <laughs> it, you get the problem. Uh, this is when we were watching uh, uh, Seven Samurai, right? Like, it, right. it, it's difficult to watch because you feel like you know all the beats already. But the only reason you know all the beats already is because this movie came out.
1: Right. But I feel like the the problems people have with Dune's story wouldn't be as problematic if it was the only one to ever do them.
0: Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure.
1: There yeah. is an entire generation of writers that came after this that um, just fed into the same tropes. And unfortunately, um, some of them uh, were, were not great to have an entire medium um uh, glorify, right?
0: Yeah, balanced, on, <laughs> balanced on the foundations of not, uh, no pun intended,
1: right? But I mean, Dune does go out of its way to have a little bit of a self-awareness to what it's doing, if that makes sense.
0: It's like definitely he, a smart Frank Herbert
1: book. wanted to take Lawrence of Arabia and tell the story of um, like a man going to a desert area and leading a revolt against um, a, a government. That was that was the ba- background for his story. Um, just taking that Lawrence of Arabia story um, from uh, T.E. Lawrence uh, where he went to the Middle East during World War One and he led an Arab, Arab revolt that was kind of like the background for this and then he tried to put all these other layers on top of it and one of those just being that the Beni Gesserit have existed and have been seeding the uh, Messiah story to all of these different civilizations so there's an entire reading of this book where um, Paul Atreides isn't really a great guy, because he knows that the people of this planet are predetermined or predestined <laughs> to believe that he is the the chosen one, the messiah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they've heard this messiah story this whole time. And I I actually, um, now that we're talking about it, I was gonna bring this up later, but that's something that the new movie actually played into a little bit. They like hinted at it, but just that thing alone kind of sets us apart from the more typical stories, even if it does. Just also follow that exact <laughs> plot line from there on out Yeah, with that um, with that small caveat.
0: So the, the elevator pitch for Dune is uh, in the distant future in space. Uh, there is an emperor of the universe, and there are houses that control planets like Game of Thrones style. And one of these houses in particular uh, is getting kind of too big for its britches. So the Emperor arranges for a sort of house war to occur between uh the Atreides who we like and the bad guys, the Harkonnens, Uh who are and just it,
1: the worst in every possible way. Yeah,
0: they are real bad. <laughs> they're they're not they're not redeemably bad. Like you're not like, oh, I see where these guys are coming from. They're they're like they're like Superman villain bad. Like they're just bad, bad, bad.
1: After something like Game of Thrones, having such a similar plot line to something like this, it was hard for me to just be like, all right, so they're they're um Gross, disgusting, fat slobs, pedophiles—right,
0: pure <laughs> evil. <laughs> just, yeah, just no redeeming qualities.
1: What's a bad? What's a bad thing? Any bad thing you could think of that humans do? Possibly, yeah, they do that.
0: So, uh, the way that the emperor arranges a conflict is by uh, ceding control of this desert planet, uh, which is notable because it can harvest the spice—a drug, rocket fuel thing—that everybody in the universe wants. Uh, He gives control of that planet from the Harkonnens, the bad guys, to the Atreides, our good guys. They go there. They find that their task is impossible. And once they get there, uh, the Emperor pulls a fast one, uh, donates his army to the Harkonnens. They wipe out most of our good guys' family, uh, except for our main character, who goes into the desert, uh, proves himself to the native people of the, the desert planet Arrakis, uh, and leads a revolt, which in the book is more explicitly called, I believe, a jihad, uh, in order <laughs> to is. overthrow the emperor of the universe.
1: I can't, I don't know why they didn't say that in the
0: new movie. Yeah, I know. I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: that is the original Dune uh, written by Frank Herbert. It was um, then famously created into a movie in 1984 by David Lynch, who up until that point was just a... I don't even know, a, a, uh, an artist, <laughs> a, uh, a fringe artist who was creating his own um, crazy works with no oversight from any studio or executive producer or anybody telling him what to do. And Dune was his first time um, stepping into the studio uh, realm to create this movie. And uh, it would probably... It would be his last (laughs) as well. Uh, It's... um, This this movie haunts uh, David Lynch until this day. Um, He famously was asked uh, in the lead up to this movie if he was excited for the remake of Dune with his history with it. And he's like, I can't see it. I can't even go through that. I can't relive that trauma of having to make a movie with just a studio telling me, well, you know, it can't be three hours long because we have, that will lose us this X amount of money. So you need to cut this whole movie down. Yeah.
0: Dune, I guess at the time was sort of considered a famously unfilmable book. Uh, And David Lynch is like, Fuck it, bro. Let's go. Let's do it. Well,
1: so it, the, um, Dune was considered unfilmable, uh, but then Star Wars came about. Star Wars and Alien and all of these crazy sci fi movies, um, which were based on concepts like Dune. Uh, and so the, uh, the studio finally felt comfortable with moving ahead with it because they knew they had a Star Wars like property and Star Wars was the biggest movie ever at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, so Ridley Scott was originally attached to direct Dune, um, and he made years of progress towards getting the film together. It just sat in development hell forever. Um, and then eventually Ridley Scott's older brother died, and he had to step away from the project. Oh. Um, but Yeah. So, so um, he left uh, Dune, and he ended up making Blade Runner instead, uh, Blade Runner 1982. Um, good So good that... Good movie. Yes, uh, well, it involved the death of his brother, so it wasn't uh, good recovery entirely. Um, his choice, but David Lynch steps in, um, and he worked on the script for six months uh, with a team put together by um, Dino De Laurentiis, who was the film's executive producer, um, who was had a very tight leash on David Lynch uh, throughout production of the film. Uh, much of what Lynch shot had to be uh, refilmed afterward to be edited in, um, which was is very common practice now, but for the 1980s, uh, was absolutely not the way films usually went. <laughs> they're
0: like, <laughs> they're like, keep an eye on this guy. He's going right. to throw some crazy stuff in there.
1: Right. Uh, David Lynch said, uh, Dune, I didn't... Should I try and do a voice? What's uh, David Lynch sound like? I don't know. I have no idea.
0: <laughs> Just do a uh, crazy
1: voice. Dune, I didn't have Final Cut on it. It's the only film I've made where I didn't have. it. I didn't technically have Final Cut on The Elephant Man, but Mel Brooks gave it to me. And on Dune, the film, I started selling out, even in the script phase, knowing I didn't have Final Cut, and I sold out. So it was a slow, dying death and a terrible, terrible experience. I think that was pretty close. That that sounded like David
0: Lynch. That was good. That's good. Sound like, he sounded like a nerd. Like so, well, I didn't have final cut.
1: That's what David Lynch sounds like. He is very nasally.
0: Oh, is he? Yeah, I don't know. This is nasally. the only David Lynch thing I've ever seen, so I'm like, not familiar at, at all. Okay. <laughs> all right. I know he's like a famous weirdo, but that's yes. all.
1: Um, you never watched... Um,
0: Eraserhead. Twin Peaks? No, not Twin Peaks, not Eraserhead, not any of the David Lynch Ugh. stuff.
1: All right. Well, <laughs> so David Lynch... Uh, did not have a great time making this. He was signed on to make a sequel to this uh, based on the book Dune Messiah, of which he was already working on the screenplay. But then when this movie came out, it was not a the moneymaker the studio wanted, <laughs> and they decided not to move forward with a sequel. Um, Dave, have you ever watched Dune before?
0: No. Um, this is my, total, my first time seeing Dune, my first time seeing a David Lynch thing, uh, and this movie was fucking wild. I I can hardly remember a movie that we have watched for this podcast that is as wild as this.
1: It all the things that David Lynch says about um not having control over the cut if you have seen something else that is from David Lynch um completely tracks. Yeah. David Lynch is known for going extremely artsy and um like subtle with his films and not this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't describe this as subtle. No. Especially not subtle was right off the top, you have this lady just like superimposed over a shot of space, and she just tells you the story. Like, essentially, what I did at the top of the show, she's just like, all right, right. here's here's what's going on.
1: So, that's one of the things that was added in afterward as part of the reshoots, (laughs) um, as well as all of the whispering voiceovers because the studio felt that the uh, storyline was uh, too confusing to follow especially after David Lynch had to cut almost an hour away from the film to make it come in at around two hours. <laughs> right. So, uh, the um, the rough cut without post-production effects ran for four hours long. Wow. Um, and that was David Lynch's uh, intended cut for the film, and he had to cut it down to r- about roughly two hours. So, Everything left on the cutting room floor is probably
0: really important when you're cutting two hours out of a four-hour movie. What we are left with is uh, a movie that has some notable cast, right? We got Patrick Stewart in here. We got Sting in here. Right. Um, and some wild mu- wild music. We got Brian Eno. We got Toto. Um, yeah. But not like a strong end product. You know, like you could see no. that there, in there are ingredients here that could ostensibly make a good movie but the way that they're assembled is like a Frankenstein's monster of just it's like all the all the erector set pieces were put together without the instruction book and it comes together like very very oddly right
1: I was shocked when I looked I was when the movie started we got maybe a quarter of the way through and I immediately had to
0: look up, what year was this made? This is after Star Wars? <laughs> That's exactly, Are we sure? exactly what I said. <laughs> when I was watching it, I turned to uh, to Angela, I think, and I was like, this came out seven years after A New Hope? It looks way worse. <laughs> it looks awful. Yeah. It
1: looks like this movie is the equivalent of something that would be played in a... Uh, Um, uh, mystery science theater three thousand episode, yeah, right, yeah, like and and you'd watch it alongside of like a couple of jerks making fun of the movie. And I know this movie has a cult following now. This is considered a cult classic. I know that this is beloved to some of you out there for some reason. Um, and I'm very sorry, (laughs) (laughs) but this movie is a very hard watch. Um, all right, so we talked about how Frank Herbert liked to grow psilocybin mushrooms, right? So. I don't think this came up in your description of the original Dune. But in Dune, uh, the Spice Melange is uh, not only the the thing that powers space travel, right? But it's also a hallucinogenic drug um, that everyone is tripping on constantly all the time. It's literally in the air that they're breathing on this planet. Um, so the book has lots of psychedelic scenes where of um, people viewing... Um, th- th- through the space time continuum, seeing through time, seeing uh through um, um tears in the in reality, um and and they the characters are interpreting this all as like real uh exp- things that they're seeing, right? It's not like a it's not they the two our characters in the book. This is not a drug trip. Like they didn't take drugs to have and like to see some crazy shit. It's, like to them, they are seeing the future. Am, am I wrong about that?
0: No you're not wrong at all and yeah what's interesting is that we've get this this sort of situation where they're all tripping on the spice but m- many of the characters are explicitly psychic right so right. so it, it's sort of like this that's part of what makes it hard to film i assume is that there are so many parts that just take place in the mind of the characters
1: right so what i was going to say was it that all seems like something that if you were reading it in a book would be really a really cool, uh, unique idea to, to, to play with, right? Yep. But when you're making it into a movie and David Lynch is just shooting crazy space colors uh, yeah, <laughs> flashing yeah. on the screen, um, it doesn't really come across what's happening in the scene. And <laughs> what the character is actually thinking um, or uh, is supposed to be uh, interpreting themselves for, for the plot moving forward in the film.
0: This is, like, a, a really similar thing to some of the scenes in famous Stephen King books, like, notably It. Like, there's a whole part at the end of the It novel, spoiler alert, uh, where the main character is, like, on a psychedelic trip flying through space on the back of, like, a giant space turtle. Uh, and for some reason, that didn't make it into the movie.
1: We, we covered it, Dave. Everybody knows. They're all, <laughs> they're all aware. Everybody's been listening this whole time. Uh, but... <laughs> But David Lynch went for it. I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh, he tried his hardest to include all of those drug tripping scenes <laughs> that made no sense within the plot. Uh, I don't. I don't know how to break this movie down. Um, what else? Uh, this is um, Kyle MacLachlan's first movie. Uh, yep. He plays Paul Atreides. Um, he's our special, special little boy. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's the he's the chosen one foretold in prophecies. Uh, in this story of Dune, um, can we just talk about that for a second? Um, and forgive me for saying this, but is it just me or is Dune a, like like kind of lame?
0: I don't know if it's I, I don't know <laughs> if it uh, it's lame, but it's it's like um it's it's weird in the way that the plot is ostensibly politically complex, and yet Paul Atreides is the chosen one for like he's conveniently the chosen one for like four separate cultures at the same time, right? right. And so. Who who else could – like like an outside observer in the world of the book should be like, we should assassinate this kid for sure. He's every right. culture's messiah.
1: I, again, I would like to, to just reemphasize that uh, I am a very stupid, stupid man, and uh, I did not read Dune ever, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I just watched two movies where every character is constantly talking about how Paul Atreides is a special, special, precious little boy. <laughs> uh, and, like it i don't remember ever watching something where like even in harry potter where like harry potter is famously the chosen one he's the boy who lived or whatever it seems like uh, characters had other things to talk to him about than just that maybe <laughs> i'm wrong i haven't watched all the harry potters in a while but i felt like um he had like friends and conversations and stuff with people who weren't just talking about what a special special precious boy he is um and that's it's kind of the one only note. treatment paul atreides gets everybody's just constantly reminding him that he's the chosen one and he's a special precious little boy
0: none of them know anything about him they don't know that he homebrews beer or he's super good with devil sticks they're just like they're like so chosen one huh he's like yep they're like all right just checking <laughs> right. in they ruffle his hair and they go, Special, special
1: boy! And they walk away. <laughs> That's how everybody treats him. Everybody he comes across. Until he's, uh, until he's like being like, uh, tied up by the Harkonnens. Everybody's just constantly telling him what a special, precious boy he is. And I just, I don't know. It's just so annoying to me in like a way, like where I start rooting against him. <laughs> like, I don't want this special, precious boy to, to win in the end. It's like he's,
0: he's destined to win. It's almost uninteresting that he leads the revolt. Uh, I thought that Paul, you know, was portrayed by an actor that was within the realm of possibility of someone who I could see being cast as him. But I thought basically everyone else was badly miscast. Like, I didn't, you know, I read the book and all these people, I wouldn't have pictured any of them playing these characters. Especially the Duke, you know, he looked much too young in this movie. Uh, I guess Jessica was pretty good, but, like, the Baron, uh, the Harkonnen Baron, like, why did he have all the skin rashes? I don't think that's in the book. And, like, some of the insane overacting, especially by some of the Harkonnen guys, uh, is just so wild. Like, the casting is crazy. I mean, Max von Sydow is in this movie. I mean, they have a good cast, (laughs) but it's just, like, the assignments were strange.
1: Would you believe that Patrick Stewart was cast by accident?
0: I would believe that, but tell me more.
1: Uh, the very simple story. Uh, David Lynch um, thought that he had hired a different actor named Patrick Stewart, and it wasn't until filming <laughs> that he
0: realized that he did oh, not. Oh, no, we got the real so... one. Oh, shit, you're the Brad Pitt? Oh, how do we get you? <laughs> what is that other Brad Pitt. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, Patrick Stewart's, like, walking down. He's walking through the studio, and he's, like, looking for Star Trek. You know, they're, like... He's like, "Where's my where's my studio?" And they're like, "What are right. you in again?" He's like, "Are you kidding me? You know, the star the star thing." And they're like, "Oh yeah, right over there." And he walks in, it's Dune. He's like, "All right, well, guess I'm in Dune now." <laughs> guess <laughs> I'm, I'm in Dune now. <laughs> guess I'm Gurney Halleck now. Right.
1: <laughs> um yeah, the the cast of this movie was fantastic. I felt um I mean, they all didn't seem to have much to work with, and were I guess directed at to just be as over the top as possible. But yes. just the people who
0: were cast. Um, so that's yeah, really... that's what I mean, right? I think that the cast is good, but I think the casting, like maybe like the assignment of roles, was right. strange to me. Like I I was stoked to see Patrick Stewart was in this movie, but is he going? I was Halleck? stoked to see Brad Dorff Who's Brad Dorf?
1: Uh, as uh, Peter Devries. Oh. Cut that out! I don't want anyone to know I couldn't say it. <laughs> um, we had a return of Virginia Madsen in this film uh, from Candyman.
0: Oh, I don't think I knew that.
1: As Princess Irulian.
0: Oh, okay. She's she's in the movie. That yeah, the dude. So that, now that you mentioned it, Brad <laughs> Dorf as uh, I think it's Piter. He. Uh, <laughs> Man, that guy is really chewing it up.
1: That's that's what Brad Dorf does. Yeah. Brad Dorf is a famous character actor. We're just going to talk about Brad Dorf for the rest of the podcast. This is Brad.
0: now a Brad Dorf show. He's like in all the scenes he, he's like, "Oh my lord, is that
1: what you want me to do?"
0: So Brad Dorf, famously Chucky from
1: the um from the uh Child's Play series. Oh. <laughs> Just, oh man i was going to make a joke just going through all the all the brad dorff movies but i just i'm scrolling through his imdb now and this this man works <laughs> he's in everything he's, he's in fucking everything all right we got to move away from brad dorff uh this is, gonna, <laughs> this is this is too much extra work you're going to you're going to have so much fun editing this together later fun editing this together later fun
0: editing this together later fun editing this together later the the biggest problem with this movie for sure i mean there are a lot of problems but the biggest problem is that after Doctor Yue betrays the Duke, uh, and uh, he wants to get the Baron back, one last screw you. He goes to install the poison gas tooth in the Duke's mouth. Like, all right, it's the future. I get it, but that's not how dentistry works. You don't just pull a tooth out with your fingers and put another one in there. You know, put some gloves on. He had a wrench. <laughs> I don't. Did he? I think he literally pulled he it had out with pliers. Oh, no, no, no. it was, pliers. no, all right, so I agree, you're right, it wasn't a wrench, or, it wasn't a wrench, but it also wasn't his fingers, it was like a, like a weird device that just, you know, all right, it sucked, it was bad. <laughs> I would
1: say the worst thing about this movie was the special effects, uh, and the sets, the sets looked awful, the special effects looked worse, there's that one set, um, um, what's the Harkonnen planet? Uh,
0: Gady Prime.
1: The one set on Gady Prime, where the entire place was painted green screen green, what was that? <laughs> was that supposed to be green screen? Like, it was so, um, like, obnoxious to me. It was so distracting that the, all of the walls in the building were painted, like, the exact color that you'd paint if you wanted to, like, project something onto
0: it. This movie, uh, this movie had four times the budget of A New Hope. Like... Yes. Like, let that sink in. What the fuck? Is it just... <laughs> Is it just, like, the production company is that much worse? Like, does, is it just that George Lucas's production shit is so good? I don't understand.
1: I I don't know where that money went or <laughs> what the problems here were. Um, this So you talked about how Dune uh, had some controversy for being a uh, typical white savior storyline, right? Um, Dune the movie here has a lot of controversy for being, um, according to one... LGBT activist group um being the most homophobic movie of all time for its take on the Harkonens and their uh love of little boys wow that um the most homophobic movie ever i, I don't i mean that's that yeah that's that's the that's what people were people were boycotting this movie when it came out originally because it was so graphically uh homophobic I don't, according to that i don't have
0: a counter example but that just seems <laughs> Hard to believe. There's
1: one scene where I would where I would agree they've gone a little too far into just making the uh, the Harkonnen like bad guys because they're gay, oh, and that's where no. Sting oh, comes no. out in his uh, famous uh, uh, what what do you want to call it his speedo it's like a codpiece yeah <laughs> little thing um, and uh, Baron Harkonnen is like drooling over him yeah but it's like clearly supposed to be like. Yeah, this is a bad guy. Look at, how, look at how this bad guy like likes this this attractive man, which is, like, really obnoxious in that scene yeah. to be watching. Uh, so if Sting plays, uh... Sting is a very attractive man. Yeah. He looked great in that Speedo. I shouldn't think that Baron Harkonnen is a bad guy because he thinks that as well. That's, the,
0: that's his only humanizing, uh... Characteristic. <laughs> That's not how the scene plays. It right.
1: he's drew, he's licking his lips and like pus his pouring down his face. Yeah, I don't know. Why they're, they're trying to him make so him puss. the most disgusting looking human being in if, I, scene. if
0: I remember correctly from the book, he's just super fat. I don't remember him having like wicked skin acne issues. I don't know, but we should say that. So Sting plays Fade Rauta who's like uh, an assassin. He's the the bad guy Baron's nephew, and they have not cast Fade Rauta for the new dune universe yet uh the new baron is played by stellan scarsguard the bad guy from goodwill hunting so perhaps his nephew fade rautha could be fucking pennywise <laughs> bill Skarsgård.
1: billy Skarsgård.
0: that would be a good casting. Or any of the
1: other Skarsgards, there's many Skarsgård's. any of um, any of the many Skarsgård's. listen i i can't keep track of all the scarsguards <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's too many of them. I don't have much more about eighty four Dune. It was a crazy movie. I wouldn't watch it again. I, I understand. Maybe I don't that like-
1: know that we've done a good job breaking it down. But I also don't have anything else to say about it. It was. It was. Uh, uh, it was insane. Um, I. It's crazy to me that this was passed off as a, or or that this was. It's crazy to me that this was made with the budget that they had, and that this was like the the studio's big go at Dune. Right, yeah. Like you have this beloved book that um, everybody is crazy about. It's inspired the the most culturally important movie of all time, Star Wars, um, which came out seven years before this, and the studio. I don't even. I don't even know what they they move forward with as quickly and um, carelessly as possible to create (laughs) something. That was not even that faithful, faithful of a
0: rendition of the original novel. um, And then we're shocked when it didn't go well. (laughs) You know what it's like? It's like if the Lord of the Rings movies never came out, like ever. And there was like Lord of the Ring novel. And then the Game of Thrones TV show came out and did great. And then they were like, okay, now's the time to make the Lord of the Rings movies. And they just totally ass blasted them. Like they were just a fucking disaster. (laughs) And people are like, oh, well, it's a cult classic. It's just weird, and it's good because it's weird. And it's like, no, if you did drugs and watched this movie, you'd be scared.
1: <laughs> it seems like it's a it's a slam dunk if you just go for it um, and you 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 do it the way that it's written, but also like make sure it looks good. <laughs> just make sure it doesn't look like trash. Yeah, uh, make sure it doesn't look like it was done by um, like college students. Oh my God! This where they where the scene where they're fighting and they activate their like shields oh, the and it's worst. just those
0: big. Oh no! It looks so
1: bad. How do you how do you even look at that scene and be like, yeah, I'm Nailed comfortable it. putting that in front of
0: people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that again looks like something like when they show the Marvel movies. They leak them before the special effects have been applied. And it's like, okay, right. this cube is where the special effects are going to go. It's like, nope, that's just the end result that we're going with here.
1: <laughs> it's it's crazy to me. Uh, I can't believe nobody took a second pass at this. No one re-edited this. No one made it look a little better. This, I can't believe that the uh, the the that Dino De Laurentiis, the like head producer on this. Didn't watch this and just be like, you know what? We might have to put in a little bit more money for the special <laughs> effects, just to make them not look like trash, because it's really dragging down the entire film. Uh, Dune has a critic score of forty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, accurate, um, and an audience score of sixty five percent. What was what was our uh, our audience score for uh, for Suspiria last time? Because it was lower than this, and that's not fair. No,
0: I agree. I 100% agree. There's something about Dune that, like, is some sort of artsy-fartsy thing where, like, if you're a truly sophisticated film viewer, then you like the original Dune movie. And if you're a a layman pleb casual like me, then you just don't get it. Uh, But that look, that's my role on this podcast. I'm the layman pleb casual, and I didn't like it, so...
1: I mean, actually, on uh, in in this episode, I am the layman, pleb, casual. You've read Dune. <laughs> oh, then I loved it. You just
0: didn't get it, Mike. <laughs>
1: but as a fan of David Lynch movies, um, as someone who's seen Blue Velvet, uh, uh, this, I, I, I guess this would be lumped in as another uh, big budget film made by a artist that is beloved by the people who love artsy shit. But this movie is not, it's not good. It's no got no redeeming qualities, as far as I can tell, outside of the people who were cast to be in it. Not not the performances they gave, but the, the, the careers that they've had since.
0: Everybody follow us on Instagram at nuts.show, NNUTS.show. Our website URL is the same. Just type in NNUTS.show into your web browser of choice, and you'll find all the different places that you can listen to us. Uh, you can go on patreon.com slash nothing new under the sun or the more succinct n-n-u-t-s nuts money. Uh, tell your friends, tell your family, leave us a review on your podcast app. Uh, and the links for all this stuff, as always, in the episode description. Uh, Mike, did you know that there was another Dune movie in production before? I, I did not. So uh, apparently uh, there was going to be some dude. It's, there's a, a, a documentary that came out in 2018 called Jodorowsky's Dune. And uh, it was some some guy, you know, look, I'm not the person who does the research for this podcast, so I don't really know how this goes. Some dude was going to make a movie about Dune, and he was going to cast Orson Welles, uh, Mick Jagger, David Carradine, uh, and Salvador Dali. Uh, and the director was going to cast his own son, who was 12 years old at the start of the production, um, when was this? After the original. I oh, wait, no, maybe not. Let me see. John Orovsky's... Doing...
1: <laughs> With the people you're you're listing here.
0: No, it's it's before. So, yeah, so so based on the people in it, it must be before the original one. Uh,
1: and before Ridley Scott
0: yeah, was supposed right. to make one, right? And uh, apparently they, they got a bunch of money, uh, and it just totally evaporated. Like, the guy who was going to direct it said that he... It, it, Wikipedia says that Jodorowsky's refusal to compromise on Dune's running time was one main reason the film did not get made. Hollywood did not want the film's length to exceed two hours, but Jodorowsky felt that 10 to 14 hours would be more appropriate for the adaptation. (laughs) So for some reason, this movie didn't get made. Then we get the one from 84. Uh, Did
1: he think that 10 to 14 hours... Was a length that he could show as one film within a studio. Yeah, with Salvador Dali
0: and his son plays the main character, you know. Okay. And they got a bunch bunch of movie to make it, (laughs) and for some reason that money is all gone. And later David Lynch would complain that he couldn't have his three-hour cut (laughs) (laughs) of the movie. If David Lynch had succeeded in getting his three-hour cut, I would suspect that the whole thing was like a um, like a business strategy. He's like, all right, we're going to send this crazy guy in to kick down the door and say I want 14 hours so that when I ask for three, they're like, thank God, a reasonable person.
1: <laughs> that's that's a crazy story. I did not find that within my, uh, my note-taking. But moving on to Dune <laughs> 2021, uh, which was supposed to come out a year ago. Um, This movie was in pre-development for a while. Uh, Warner Brothers just sat on the rights of this film uh, after the first one was such a terrible mistake. I guess this is – um. I didn't bring this up earlier. I just kept saying the studio. I didn't really uh, – I wasn't clear about which studio. But we're here in another episode where um, Warner Brothers are the ultimate villain to the story that we're telling. <laughs>
0: just Just them mucking about and messing up constantly. Warner Brothers, a bad studio. Just fucking stuff up all the time. Subscribe to HBO Max. Warner Brothers, bad. <laughs> Subscribe to HBO Max. What were you saying, Mike? Right. HBO Max is pretty great.
1: Uh, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so Warner Brothers had the rights to this. Didn't really know what to do with it. The first one was a nightmare. Um, we're, we're, but like recently, we've been entering an area specifically with Game of Thrones and other um, longstanding uh, uh, novels, um, it even... Um, being remade into um, television and film um, to great success because everybody who's a fil- uh, fan of those original novels um, came out to see them. And Dune was uh, immediately picked up by Warner Brothers as a possibility when um, director Denise Villeneuve came to them um, after making uh, Blade
0: Runner 20. 20- the new one. The new Blade. The, the future Blade Shit. Runner. God Blade damn Runner 20. 20- no, 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 no. 2099. No. <laughs> is that it I, don't know, I think it's 2049 2042 2049? 2049 2049
1: Fucking god damn it i should have wrote it blade down. runner
0: 4027 right.
1: blade runner 2049 so denis villeneuve uh was a gigantic fan of dune way back in the day he saw the original movie um it got him into film because he was a re- fan of the book first and then saw the book that he loved turned into a film <laughs> Um, he's <laughs> the exact guy fire. that we've been we've been saying we can't uh, relate to for the last forty minutes of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he he uh, loved Dune, and he just this was like a dream uh, job for him. So once he um, worked with the uh, Warner Brothers on Blade Runner twenty forty nine, he wanted to make Dune with. The, uh, he expressed interest in Dune, and Warner Brothers was up for uh, moving forward with it. So. Um, His original pitch to Warner Brothers was that Dune would be made into two movies, um, splitting Dune into part one and part two. Um, And Warner Brothers seemingly made a deal to film the first one, but not move forward with the second part until they knew what the interest was in this franchise moving forward. Smart on everybody's part, I think. Right. So I will give Warner Brothers credit on this decision here, um, because this is one that studios don't usually make right yeah they are deciding that hey we will not only um make a tentative plan with you to create numerous sequels after this but we'll allow you to make what is essentially half of a movie
0: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like we already have fucking avatar 7 filming so
1: well that's at disney now uh, but yeah <laughs> whatever this doesn't really have much of anything they're kind of uh, in a in a
0: hole they've blown it with the dc movies Um, they got their, I mean, look, Justice League was pretty good, right? It was, it was bad. Which, which Justice League? (laughs) I I was just kidding. They're all bad. Okay.
1: Yeah. They, They um, they're trying their hardest to get that back off the ground. They still have, um, they're, they're crawling their way back to theaters every once in a while with the Fantastic Beasts series, um, in the, in the Harry Potter universe but they don't have a reliable franchise really right now, whereas all of the competition for Warner Brothers has all of these crazy reliable uh, franchises. So um, Warner Brothers uh, made a pretty risky move here in deciding to let Denise Villeneuve make a like just the first half of the story, um, and that was their trade-off, was like, we're not signing you to the second half until we know that this makes money. Um, which... Reportedly, it has made enough money to grant a sequel. And I knew all of this going into Sea Dune, but there's the sheer fact that uh, this movie was just called Dune up until I was sitting in the theater, and the title card comes up, and it says Dune Part 1. Yep. And I felt tricked. I completely agree. <laughs> I was like, whoa, Part 1, what the fuck? I didn't pay a ticket for Dune Part 1.
0: <laughs> I made mean, a get for Dune, um, but credit where credit is due to Denis Villeneuve, uh, he got his five-hour fucking Dune movie. He just sold it to him yes. in, a, in a different package. Good move on his part, right? And I gotta say, he did a pretty awesome job. Yeah, dude, this movie, <laughs> this movie kicked ass in all the in all the ways that the other movie was bad. This movie kicked ass. I I saw that this movie had like an eighty, and so I was like, oh, okay, it's gonna be an eighty. I think I, this movie was fucking awesome. I really really liked it. As of
1: our recording, this movie sits at eighty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes and ninety percent an audience score. So that means that eighty percent of eighty three percent of the uh, reviewers who saw it gave it a positive review, um, and ninety percent of the audience who saw it gave it a positive review. So this movie is doing pretty well so far. Um, I thought it was pretty great. Um, the uh, just the little uh, details within not only what we see on screen but the story writing to. This this script is smooth yep. for a story that is so convoluted yeah. <laughs> and so uh, complicated. Like, this thing moves at a click for how much they squeeze into this two-and-a-half-hour movie. Dude, absolutely. Um, the, and I, the
0: original movie, they literally give us, like, a fucking two-paragraph, like, re- red intro where they explain the story, and it still manages to be confusing. This movie, they just jump us right in, and it all makes perfect sense. You're following the the political intrigue, you know what's happening, the stakes are in there, and everybody just pulls it the fuck off. It was just so great, I thought.
1: The, the cast uh, is just as good as the original one, but they're actually able to
0: uh, give great performances this yes. time. Yes, yeah, yeah. it is... It is uh,
1: Forgettable ones?
0: It is a... Uh, what do they call it? It's an it's an ensemble cast similar to the first one, but the the casting is also extremely good in this. Right. We got Timothy Chalamet. We got Oscar Isaac. We got Josh Brolin. We got Stellan Skarsgard. We got Dave Batista, We got Zendaya. We got Jason Momoa. We got Javier Bardem. This shit reads like Academy Award winners left, right, center, top, bottom. Let's go
1: with uh uh Stellan Skarsgard. Let's go back to him for a second. Um, comparatively to the previous Baron Harkonnen, this is a much better, uh, representation of somebody that I should be afraid of. Absolutely. Um, just, he is so intimidating every single second that he's on film and you, you get the sense that he's someone that you should look the fuck out for. Whereas the other guy was just like a maniacal, silly guy who was covered in pus and, and spitting constantly. Oh, we didn't talk about how he spit on that lady's face when he oh, spits on... Oh, yeah, super gross. Oh, we didn't even bring that up before. That was, like, the worst. Ah. Oh.
0: In this movie, there's a scene where they're doing, like, a rack focus where... It, I think it's when um, the Duke is about to bite the, the poison gas tooth. And um, in the background, you see the Baron sort of ascend out of his throne. And he's sort of blurred in the background. And he comes up, like, he raises up, like, ten feet in the air... Uh, and it's, like, blurred in the background, I got chills. I was like, holy shit, what a scary part. Like, literally almost like a horror movie-style part in the middle of this. Right.
1: Uh, Denis Villeneuve said that he saw Baron Vladimir Harkonnen as a rhino in human form and used that to uh, uh, influence the entire look, including the seven hours a day of makeup that Stellan Skarsgård had to go through. Uh, to play the role. Um, by the way, have I already, have I ever point told the Stellar Skateboard story on the podcast? No, this is, it's not that interesting. But there, um, there's a comedian, uh, who kept going on to uh Stellan Skarsgård's uh, Wikipedia and changing it to Stellan, Stellar Skateboard, <laughs> <laughs> and his, his representation got really pissed about it. And now, I, and now I can't read Stellan Skarsgård's name uh, without thinking about that. So
0: we got Oscar Isaac as the Duke. Man, what a badass looking beard exactly how i pictured the duke in in the book we got josh brolin as gurney um and josh brolin i didn't realize is shorter in real life than i you know than thanos is thanos is fucking eight feet tall josh brolin is like five seven it looks like and he's not purple it's crazy yeah uh (laughs) dave batista as the beast Rabin. oh he's perfect great casting zendaya as connie such great casting uh, Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho, oh, so lovable. Man, I loved everything. And Javier Bardem, oh, everybody was perfect. I think this is my favorite movie. This is like, this might be the my favorite movie we watched for the show, and it might be one of my favorite movies I've seen in many years. I fucking loved it, especially Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho. Perfect character. I, I can't add to that because I didn't read the books. So I don't know what any of these characters should be, um, but I will
1: trust you that they were cast uh, appropriately. Um, I can only compare them to the first film in which, uh, I thought that they all did a much better job than, um, whatever was happening in the the original Dune that came out. Um, it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to judge their portrayal of these characters because all I know the characters as is just, um, like, uh, the, the hackiest acting ever. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I uh so we we touched on uh, Stellar Skateboard. Let's move over <laughs> to uh Timothy Chalamet. Um, I thought he was great as our special boy Paul Trades. Um, a little more moody I, the, than just a
0: special boy. He was like a he was a moody special boy
1: in this. He was a very moody special boy. Um, I I bought into our um his his uh his development as as our most precious special boy throughout the film. Uh, if that makes any sense, where yeah. like where we started with the scene, like immediately when we're introduced to him, he's training as like in the Benny um like uh, power set, I guess. Yep. And you don't really get that in the first in the original movie where it's just like it's we just we're just strung along for all the things that are happening uh, with no explanation, uh, other than like where how much everybody cares about the spice, right? Yep. Um, but Paul in this. Um, it made sense that his his relationship with his mother um, made everything make a little bit more sense. That like he you saw how close they seemingly were throughout the film. So the fact that she would train him in the ways of the what are essentially the Jedi, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah right, the, with within this uh, this continuity, yeah. um, w- uh, made a lot of sense to me. And I and it, I didn't I I bought in much easier than I did in the first one where it's like why is. Paul uh, doing this crazy uh monster voice like to everybody. Like it made more sense here, like that that they set it up and like uh e- executed it more properly. Um In I Star felt... Wars
0: they call it the force, and here we call it the voice. Sure.
1: <laughs> they they, <laughs> they influence people. Um I I thought it was uh they they were easily able to explain his um his uh, prophecy existence away within that one scene where his mother's talking to like the lead Benny Jesuit lady who uh, threatens him with the with the the pain uh, test or whatever. Yep. Um, like when they have that whole conversation, like it's just it's three lines. It's so easy. You weren't supposed to have any any children but girls. You decided to have a boy. He better be great, or like he, or we're all fucked. Great. Turn, turns, <laughs> out, turns out he's fucking great. That's that's all I needed to know, though. Like I mean. Need- <laughs> It it, it didn't beat around the bush, and I I was following right along with the plot.
0: Yep. Um, So one of the things you might not know if you didn't read the book uh, is that uh, Dr. Kynes, the person who's like the—they call her the judge, uh, the ecologist lady who ends up helping to save them at the end, her and Duncan, Idaho. uh, Yes. uh, She—Dr. Kynes is a man in the book. uh, Okay. So uh, they they make it into a woman in the movie. Totally great. Uh, She's a badass lady. And a cool character. That is actor Sharon Duncan Brewster. That's right. Um, I thought she
1: also did a really great job. Um, uh, one Another actor we haven't mentioned yet is uh, Dave Bautista, who didn't get a lot to do in this movie, but definitely um, filled his role really well. I assume uh, Beast Harkonnen
0: will come up in future movies, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely bigger he's, role? Yeah, well, because now he's in charge of the bad guys on Arrakis right right after Uh,
1: Piter uh, has died right that's right
0: yep so so he's sort of like the general on Arrakis Uh, and I I don't know if you are familiar Mike but uh, Dave Bautista actually used to be a professional wrestler you don't Um, say (laughs) and he has really evolved into a wonderful character actor Um, he is and he was
1: actually super stoked to be in this movie Um, he's like it's it's been tough for uh, Dave Bautista as an actor. He has always been typecast uh, into certain roles, and then especially after Marvel had hired him, uh, he's kind of been ki- uh, stuck in the uh, role. I mean, I when you have a body type like Dave Bautista, what else are people going to hire you for? I know. Right? He,
0: he says that too. He actually said that he didn't necessarily want to do Guardians anymore. It might just be a bargaining chip. But he said, he's like, look, I'm the only person in the entire cast that has to have their shirt off the entire movie. He's like, it's a way bigger deal for me to prepare for this movie than it is for like Chris Brown to prepare for this movie.
1: Right. Um, And he also, he was very soured with just working with Disney as a whole after they uh, fired James Gunn, because James Gunn was the only guy who hired him for a big like real movie. Yes. uh, Ever. And so he feels a lot of loyalty to him. So that that was uh, another um, thing that turned Dave Bautista a little bit against his role in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but I'm glad to see him here uh, doing another role that seems to suit him. Um, I definitely bought him as a real big, scary Tarkone in general. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know how else to put it. He didn't have very many lines, but I, I thought he was great in his uh, in his role, as uh, just as well as our other um, superhero movie actor from Suicide Squad, uh David Malchen.
0: <laughs> yep
1: David Dasmalchin uh he he plays um, Peter in this movie He plays Peter and he was I mean we've we've talked about our our love for Brad Dorf uh there is no right. replacing uh the original Brad Dorf here
0: but, but uh David Delsmalchin is one of the classic oh it's that guy actors <laughs> uh, and he's a classic like creepy that guy actor you're yes. like, oh, he's the creepy that guy. Just after. like Brad Dorff. Yes,
1: <laughs> so that was perfect, perfect casting uh, on so, uh, Denise Villeneuve's, Villeneuve's part. Um, I is there anybody we're missing here as we're going down the uh, no. the, the cast list?
0: Maybe not cast, but how about um, Hans Zimmer doing the music?
1: Man, thank you. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I, I'm glad we didn't forget that. Uh, Hans Zimmer turned down working with Christopher Nolan again on Tenet in 2020 to score this film instead because he was such a big fan of the original novel. Yep. Um. And he did. Uh. A, he did a very great job of melding together. Um. What would be the like. Uh, earth cultural. Uh. Or, original originating. Um. Uh. Musical influences. That was a we- really long way to get there. Um, for each of the houses, Um sure, Yeah, where the, you had the Atreides
0: had the bagpipes, right? The they Atreides like had Scottish the
1: bagpipes, music. the and a very Scottish influence, but still, there, there is it was um like uh the bagpipe uh as the instrument, but it was not playing a very um traditionally Scottish sounding song, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was it was almost like you were using the bagpipes to play a song that would be more of a um typical. Like um, Anglo-Saxon rock kind of like song. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but it was the instrumentation there was interesting. And then the the same thing with um, uh, House Harkonnen, where you had the the like throat singers as the as their um, main instrument and like the didgeridoo. And it was just another like interesting melt uh, melt and amalgamation of different sounds of Earth music. Uh, mixed together to influence each of these cultures which are at, at least from the original novel supposed to have originated on earth and then moved out from there to these different planets so these these famous houses have history going back i mean i i don't know how long but going back at some point back to earth to actual our history um and our uh
0: cultural influences a hot take, but I think Hans Zimmer did a better job here than Toto and Brian Eno did in the original movie. Except for there's a part in the original where there's like a battle going on, and I guess it's Toto is just fully wailing on some like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. like
0: electric guitar shit. That was pretty badass. I gotta admit. Uh, I would like to point out that Hans Zimmer um,
1: did make a lot of the music that played um, on Arrakis during this movie. Sound a lot like the Wonder Woman theme that plays throughout huh. all of the Wonder the just uh, the Zack Snyder Justice League movie, where it's every time she's on screen, it's like ah, <laughs> and it just did that like constantly throughout the desert <laughs> for the entire movie. <laughs> like, um, how
0: would that go again?
1: I I can only do it once, oh, it's a, right. a one time yeah, thing. Fine. But it's that's like fine. Hans Zimmer only has one tone that he can hit for like desert sand uh place and that's it and i don't i don't know that that did take me out of it a little bit this is like just a little bit distracting to me um but i thought overall he did a pretty good job
0: so there's a part in gladiator that is literally just the pirates of the caribbean it's just the exact melody uh and you're just like oh it, it's like you would expect that i guess as a in like a pop singer in a rock band you're like oh i've seen them like use that riff before but i guess i just assume that for some reason in classical music it's not something that happens but i guess you know it's one guy composing it right
1: right so he's probably gonna take from his uh his past uh scores at least his influence for what he's doing moving forward um but Hans zimmer um as always does a great job here um the the um the effects here, unlike the first one, looked spectacular. Yep. Um. The the look of the worms didn't look so <laughs> terribly. Yeah. Uh, uh. Like a like a bad high school model. Um. That actually looked really creepy. I loved the look of like just like endless teeth. Um. Kind of the way that a like uh, a big a big like blue whale would have like teeth like to sift through krill this like the way that the teeth of the world oh, yeah, sift yeah, yeah, through sure. the sand um and it was just like when it first comes up to stare down our uh special precious protagonist uh <laughs> you see endless <laughs> rows of teeth going back into the worm's mouth um before it takes off i thought like details like that were really really cool like they put they definitely put a lot of there was a lot of special care put into this film that was not put into the original one where
0: maybe certain things were boggled down with just David Lynch fighting with the producers every day. <laughs> yeah, just the fucking scale of how humongous the Shai Halud is here. Uh, just mind blowing. The gigantic worm. Crazy. Also, shout out to Shai Halud, badass punk band, who my band opened for one time.
1: Uh, is there anything else you want to say about the new Dune? Uh, I, it's it's half a movie, I feel like we've broken down a lot of it, and there's a lot more we could get into. But also, like, we only have half a story here.
0: There's just right. not
1: much to talk about, unfortunately, Um, as, as nice as all of it was done.
0: Yeah, it, it. but it kicks ass, though. Would recommend. I 100% would recommend people see this Dune movie and then go and see the next one. Would I watch this one again? Mm, I don't know. Maybe not. You know what I mean? But I'm stoked for the next one. If I had any criticism of the new movie, it's maybe that it's a little bit... Um. Wooden, like a little bit Zack Snyder-ish, a little bit over serious. Uh, There are some joyful moments, you know, some fun parts, but maybe not enough to punctuate it. Um, I don't know. It's it's not a fun, lighthearted story.
1: And I actually liked that about this one is that it didn't have a lot of lighthearted, jokey bits. You know, it was kind of like a more straightforward telling of this family knows they're going to this place to like get fucked. Like, there's no way that them being gifted this uh, new planet and endless riches is a good thing for them. And they know that immediately, but they have to move forward with it because
0: that's their duty, and anything else will have them murdered anyway. So, like... Yeah, big um, uh, big house Stark vibes. The, the, the Atreides run me a lot of the Starks in Game of Thrones. Right. Um, I talked about it before, but there's the scene
1: where uh, Paul is... Um, is when right at the end when he meets them and he starts telling about how he is the he is the chosen one he is the one from prophecy and his mom is like no don't do it or whatever that's that's yep. where they're hinting at that um the fact that like he's like just stealing this Benny Jesuit like prophecy that that was told to this um, yeah yep to these people so that he can step into that role and take over so that's your that's your little side eye nod and a wink to uh, the fact that maybe maybe Paul Atreides isn't the, isn't a great guy (laughs) that maybe, um, they, him, uh, being the chosen one here is less that he is the most special precious boy. And maybe more that, uh, this, this story was left there for him to step into the role. Um, I appreciated that, but at the same time, I really could have used a little bit less of people talking about how, how, special and precious Paul Atreides was because it, it started to get annoying to me I know I've touched I've talked about it a lot but that was the most annoying thing
0: in this whole film for me yeah was just that element sure I don't know if they thought that audiences were dumb in the 80s but I do think now movie studios and tv studios are a little bit um more courageous with giving their content creators a bit of a leash, like a longer leash, when making things like this. Because it's like, okay, we just watched eight seasons of Game of Thrones, this very complex uh, plot, you know, based on this complex set of novels. And so in this movie— they, But also one of the highest-grossing shows of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was like so it successful.
1: Made, it made HBO, uh, a subsidiary of the same company that owns Warner Brothers, a ton of money. Right. So.
0: And so I think it's cool that we get something like a five-hour, two-part—ostensibly we uh, two-part—Dune uh, movie that isn't afraid to do some subtle stuff, to be a little complex, to show, not tell, to not treat their audience like it's stupid. Uh, It's it's cool, you know, and I think that in the future, we'll just get more and more types of franchises and movies that are allowed to have uh, subtlety, you know, that are allowed to have to to have more time to let things play out slowly and and in a more gratifying way without having to shove it into two hours and have the the actors just explain everything, staring straight into the camera.
1: Right. Um, So we'll we'll be getting Dune Part 2 in 2023 um Denis Villeneuve is signed on to continue with the second part of his uh story and he has been very vocal about how he also wants to do a part three being uh Dune Messiah uh the next book and also the, the original plan for David Lynch uh if his movie had moved forward with the sequel um other than that a a prequel uh series has been announced Dune Sisterhood for HBO Max in the same way that um The Peacemaker show was announced while they were filming uh, Suicide Squad. Oh, So this was originally supposed to be written by Dune writer John Spatz, uh, who was one of the lead writers uh, for this script uh, for the movie. But he uh, has had to step down from the show since um, Dune Part 2 has been announced, and he will be one of the lead writers for the next movie instead. So they are looking for a new showrunner for uh doing the sisterhood which would be a prequel about the benny jesuit um which uh could be pretty cool if they if they move forward with that it's i like that hbo max and warner brothers are kind of like whatever movie comes out they're like and we're gonna have a show like it's it's gonna be whatever whatever movie you see there's also there's a spinoff show it's on hbo max go check it out um that seems to be their new business model plan we'll see if they uh continue forward with that but i think that's interesting Whereas um with like Disney and Marvel, you have all these um shows based on Marvel characters who wouldn't get movies, and here it's like, well here's a any minor character from whatever movie we put out. what is it who cares they They have a show go check it out
0: <laughs> well, that's the beauty of having a uh a product like h b o max It's just right. so good, and for starting only at ten dollars a month, not only can you get <laughs> the newest movies but also <laughs> the best in t v shows from Warner Brothers. your friends at Warner Brothers. <laughs>
1: And we would all, <laughs> all uh, like to support our friends at Warner Brothers and all of the amazing content that they create over at HBO max. Uh, thank you for listening to uh, nothing new under the sun um we we try our hardest to make quality content for you here as well. Um check us out on Instagram and uh um I don't even know uh, and patreon. Um, and uh, try your hardest to support us if you like this really dumb thing that we do um, because we work really hard to put out this every once in a while for you guys. Uh, tune in next time for when we cover
0: Cowboy Bebop. Ooh, see you, Space Cowboy.